All right, well, we are continuing in these sermons about Jesus' very powerful and profound I Am statements. And we're looking at these statements in both their scriptural and their cultural context so that we can learn who Jesus is. Not just someone's opinion about Jesus, not just what we think about Jesus, what someone else says about Jesus. We are hearing who Jesus is, His character, His nature, His purpose from Jesus Himself in His own words. And so far we've discovered that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God the Father is through Him. And Jesus is the light of the world. That if we follow His light, He will lead us from stumbling in the darkness of sin to walking in the light of His wisdom and truth. That He will set us free from bondage to sin to walk in true spiritual liberty. And that He will transfer us from death to life abundant and eternal. But in this next I Am statement, really Jesus is expounding further on what He's already said. He's really kind of taking these two statements and He's further illustrating them for us. In fact, last week, the statement about I Am the Light of the World, we looked at John 7, 8, and 9. Today's statement and next week's statement both come from the next chapter, John chapter 10. Uh, So if you'll turn to John chapter 10, our New Testament reading this morning, in fact kind of acts as an introduction and sets up both today's statement uh, and next week's statement. Jeff Harris is going to be leading us through that next week, exploring Jesus as the Good Shepherd. He said, I am the Good Shepherd. Um, So in the context of John chapter 10, he's talking about sheep, shepherds, sheep folds, sheep pens. He's talking about all of this. And those first five verses we looked at, it says in verse 6 that the people didn't understand what he was talking about. They, They didn't understand the analogy and so Jesus continues in chapter, uh, in chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for Jesus and the way that He has revealed Himself to us through Your Word. And we pray that Your Holy Spirit would give us the insight we need today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is kind of a a strange one. You know, what does Jesus mean by comparing Himself to a gate, to a door? Uh, That seems like a strange uh, analogy. Well, we need to look at how shepherds corralled their sheep at night, both in ancient times in Israel, but also in modern times. What I've learned in my studies and in my trips to Israel is that herding sheep in Israel today isn't all that different than it was 2,000 years ago. In fact, one Old Testament scholar who had gone with a group to Israel Uh, told the story about how he and his tour group were in Bethlehem and they came across a shepherd who was actually out there tending his sheep near Bethlehem. And he graciously agreed to kind of show them what he did and show them the fold into which he took the sheep every night. And the scholar commented how shockingly simple it was. It was just four walls with an opening. That's it. And so the scholar said, so that's where the sheep go at night. And the shepherd said, yes. And when they're in there... They are perfectly safe. Well, perplexed, the scholar said, but there's no door. There's just this opening. And the young shepherd replied, I am the door. 
Now understand, this was not a Christian young man. He was not trying to make a spiritual point about Jesus. In fact, he was an Arab and a Muslim, as are 90% of the people who live in and around Bethlehem. It's in the West Bank. It's a Palestinian city. Uh, So the scholar looked at him and said, Now explain to me what you mean that you are the door. And here's what he said. When the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie down in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body, and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. And so Jesus is saying, I am the living door. If you want to come into the fold, you have to go through me. If you want to go out to find pasture, you have to go through me. As the door, I am both the protector and the provider of the sheep. Nobody comes through that door except they come through me. That's what Jesus is saying. And just as the sheepfold the Old Testament scholar examined in Bethlehem, in our time, the sheep pens in Jesus' day were also, as you see there, just simple rock enclosures. That one on the right is an actual ruin of a first century sheepfold. On the left are more modern examples of what that would look like in Israel today. The walls were just high enough that a sheep couldn't jump or climb out, and they would often put branches or thorns on the top of it, kind of like first century barbed wire, to keep predators and thieves from coming inside. And the shepherd himself would lay down at night across that opening as the only way in and out. So no sheep could leave except by walking across him and waking him up, and no predator could come in for a midnight snack without contending with him. He was that line of defense for the sheep. So with these basic facts in mind, let's consider the implications for us that Jesus called himself the gate, the door for the sheep. The first implication is that the gate brings division. The gate brings division. Because think about it, gates and doors only serve two, pur- two purposes. To keep inside what belongs inside and to keep outside what belongs outside, right? That's what a door is there for. It's, it's been illustrated. You know, listen, when I was growing up, my dad would often say, either in or out. You know, I was in and out all the time and I would leave the door open and he'd, he'd say, David, close that door. We're not air conditioning the whole neighborhood. How many of your dads said the same thing? I mean, is there like a book? You know, I didn't get that book, but I find myself saying these same things too. It's just like ingrained in us. Yeah, you want to keep the A.C. and the bugs you know, out, if it, or the, the hot uh, air and the bugs out, and the A.C. in, or in the winter, you want to keep the cold air out and the warm air in. Down here at the fellowship hall, we, we don't open those fellowship hall doors a lot of the, of the year. We put a sign out telling you to go in the hallway and around for the same reason. We want to keep the cold air and the hot air where they belong, separated from each other. In Gatlinburg, I know people live in Gatlinburg, and they're off, they have to, have to tell people to close and lock your door at night because the bears know how to open doors and get in. You want to keep the bears outside, right? With the rattlesnakes. <laughs> you want to be inside where it's safe. My refrigerator beeps at me because I leave the door open and take too long to find out what I want to eat. Because you've got to keep that cold air in and the hot air out. The shepherd served as the gate which kept his sheep safely in the pen, and anyone who didn't belong, thieves, robbers, predators, keep them out. They belonged on the outside. The gate, like any door, necessarily causes division. It separates those who are inside from those who are outside. Now, people today don't like that. 
They don't like that kind of exclusivity. They don't like the idea that they're insiders and outsiders, that there are people who belong and people who don't belong. But listen, I'm going to tell you, the claims of Jesus Christ are exclusive. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, the gate into God's kingdom is narrow and the road is difficult and few will find it. The claims of Christ are exclusive, but they're also inclusive. Because Jesus said, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Peter tells us that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it says, Both the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Jesus offers belonging and acceptance to everyone. He wants every outsider to become an insider. But we can't climb over the fence into God's kingdom any which way we want. We can't build our own gate to get through. We can't climb over the wall with our own achievements. God has already made a way for us to come into His kingdom, and that one way is through the cross of Jesus Christ. If there was any other way, Jesus would not have died on that cross for our sins. There is no other way into the kingdom but through Him. And tragically, we know, as Jesus said, that that most people, at least many people, are not going to find that way. They're, they're going to choose to not enter through that narrow gate. They're going to choose not to walk that difficult road of discipleship. Jesus said few would. During Jesus' ministry, we read several places that the people were divided because of Jesus. In Luke 12, he says, Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. So just as a door creates a necessary division, a separation, so does Jesus. Because followers of Jesus don't belong to this world anymore. This world is no longer our home. Paul says in Colossians 1.13 that He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We're citizens of a different kingdom. And as a result, Jesus warns us the world will hate us. That just as the world hated and persecuted Him, He said the world will hate and persecute us because we no longer belong to it. You think about trying to escape communist, uh, you know, Soviet Union or trying to escape from, from East Germany to West Germany back in the day or from North Korea to South Korea. Those communist dictatorial regimes hate people that try to escape. And the world will hate us for escaping it to the kingdom of God. Listen, there are many lost sheep out there. There are a lot of people who are wandering around from one field to another, trying out every philosophy and religion. There are people who wear themselves out, walking around that pen, trying to find any other way to get inside, any kind of lifestyle, any kind of pursuit, any way to get inside except to come through the one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only gate, the only way for us to be saved. And if we miss out on Jesus, if we refuse to enter through Him, we reject Him as our Lord and Savior, we miss out on God, we miss out on forgiveness, we miss out on heaven, we miss out on peace, we miss out on life. Now, people think this idea of division, 
that this exclusivity of Christ is bad news, but it's not. I'm here to tell you it's good news because there is a gate. There is a way. God didn't have to make any way for us. He could have left us all outside. That division is good. It's as good as when you are welcomed in out of the cold into the warmth of someone's home. It's as good as when you hand over that ticket so you can board the plane or enter into Disney World or go into the movie theater. It's as good as when that young couple steps across the threshold of their new first home for the first time. It's a good thing. Consider the good news of division. In Christ we move from death to life, from slavery to liberty, from debt to amazing riches, from scarcity to abundance. But if we're going to experience that change, if we're going to experience that separation from who we were to who God is making us to be, we have to make a decision. And so the gate that means decision, division is also the gate that requires a decision. You have to make a choice. Now, again, we live in a culture where division and separation are hateful. You know, exclusivity is bad. Inclusivity is good. Discrimination is a vice. Tolerance is a virtue. But every time you make a decision, you know what you're doing? You're discriminating. You're making a choice between two or more options. Let's say you're shopping for groceries, which gets harder and harder to do every day, doesn't it? You're in the cereal aisle. Oh, the choices in the cereal aisle. And you're weighing all of these things. You're, you're comparing box size to the, to the cost. You're reading the nutritional label. Lots of sugar. Uh, you, you're thinking about what will my family eat or not eat. And then you make a choice. You buy the cereal that you think is the best option, better than all the others. That's discriminating. You're, you're, you're making a separation. You're making a distinction here. You're taking a test. It's multiple choice. Or maybe it's a mathematical problem. One answer is right, and guess what? The rest of them are wrong. When it comes to social issues, religious beliefs, lifestyles and behaviors, though, our culture promotes tolerance at the cost of truth. You believe your truth, I'll believe mine. You live what's true for you, I'll live what's true for me. Now, how insane would it be if we applied that logic to money or medicine or, you know, trying to take measurements to build something. Okay, let's say that I owe you $100 and I attempt to pay that back in 10 $1 bills. And you look at me funny and I say, well, to me, a $1 bill has as much value as a $10 bill. Would you take that? Would anybody take that? Please raise your hand and let me know because I, I want to borrow $100. No, none of us would do that. The absolutes here cannot be denied. Let's say a doctor told you you were diabetic and you need to lay off the carbs and the sugar and start taking insulin. What if you said, Doctor, you know, I identify as a healthy person. <laughs> and, and I don't believe that I'm diabetic. That may be your truth, but that's not my truth. So I'm going to eat what I want and I'm not going to take your insulin. That would be insane. I don't know about you, but when it comes to money or medicine, truth matters. And I don't want my doctor or my airplane pilot or my banker to tell me about their truth. If we, if we want that kind of absolute certainties in matter of health and safety and finances, why not in matters of personal morality and faith? Which I would argue are infinitely more important than those other things. Listen, we can be tolerant of other people's opinions, but not their delusions. 
Peter warns us against this. He warns us against wolves in sheep's clothing, the thieves and predators who were out there to come after the people of God. He says in 2 Peter 2, they were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Now, the Greek word translated here, made-up stories, is the word plastos. Guess what English word we get from plastos? Plastic. Peter's warning us against plastic words and ideas that can be molded and twisted into whatever we want them to be. And that's what our culture does. Our culture takes words and ideas and they twist them to mean whatever they want, which means they mean absolutely nothing. Man, woman, male, female, these words mean something definite and concrete. They're not plastic words and categories we can mold to our desire. But they're being twisted into meaninglessness today, as is marriage as is the difference between children and adults, between what is right and true and healthy and what is aberrant and perverted and destructive. But when we come to the gate for the sheep, Jesus, the only door that leads us to God, we must hear His Word and accept Him as the source of truth and act accordingly. Whether something is a sin or not is not a matter of yours and mine's opinion. There are not many roads to heaven. People are not born in the wrong body. We cannot just make of ourselves whatever we want. Children are precious gifts of God that need to be protected from the womb on. Heaven is real and hell is hot. And the only decision that we have to make is whether or not we're going to trust and believe these concrete truths and build our lives on the solid foundation of God's Word or whether we're going to treat what is true and real like plastic twisting and shaping it to justify our sinful desires and our flawed choices. That's like building your lives on shifting sand that will someday erode from out beneath you and sweep you and everyone you love to destruction. That's what's happening to our culture today. What will you decide? Listen, you're standing in front of the gate today to make a decision. To make no decision today is to make a decision. Every day you choose not to walk through the gate of Jesus Christ, you're making a decision to stay on the outside. You're making a decision to reject Jesus as your good shepherd. Don't think you can just put that decision off. Putting off that decision is actually making a decision to not trust and follow Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning you make the right decision. I pray you choose to build your life on the concrete, certain foundation of the solid rock of God's Word. I pray you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior and enter into the gate so you can forever be a part of God's flock, God's family. Because when you do, you discover two beautiful gifts that the gate gives to us. And the first is our third point. The first is the gate is our deliverance. It's our deliverance. Jesus says whoever enters the fold through Him will be saved, will be delivered from the dangers that are outside the pen. For sheep, 
Entering through the shepherd means deliverance from the ravenous wolves and the false shepherds who were out there wanting to take advantage of those sheep for their own purposes, to either eat them or sell them or whatever. The shepherd delivers them from that danger. And for us, Jesus delivers us. He delivers us from something and He delivers us for something. First, we are saved to eternal life. He delivers us from sin, death, and hell. From the wrath of God's judgment. He saves us to eternal life. When we make that decision to leave behind our sin and to follow Jesus in repentance and trust, the Bible says we cross over from death to life. We no longer belong to the world. We become citizens of God's kingdom. Our sins are forgiven. Our record is expunged. Our slates are wiped clean. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. So the old is outside the pen where we used to be. But now we're inside. Who we were is left behind out there. Our sin, our unrighteousness, the filthy rags of our past are left outside. We come inside and receive robes of righteousness. We're given a new name, a new identity. Sort of like the blind man in chapter 9. Right? The blind man, Jesus goes, he healed this man, was born blind, and and the, the Pharisees can't stand that Jesus healed him, so they kick him out of the synagogue. He's on the outside. Jesus comes and brings him into his fold. He becomes a follower of Jesus when he realizes who Jesus is. It says he bowed down and he worshiped him. You see, the blindness, the deafness, the muteness, the lameness of our old selves is left behind on the outside of the pen. In here, in Christ, we are new. We are free. We are sons and daughters of the King of creation. In here, we walk in the light of life. We live in liberty now and forever. We are saved to eternal life. That means that our sins are forgiven. We are a child of God and we have the assurance of heaven. Jesus said in John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son, Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. But listen, eternal life isn't just something that we experience when we die. Jesus doesn't just deliver us upon our death. No, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, something changes in us here and now. We are saved to experience abundant life in the flesh. So Jesus doesn't just deliver us from something. He delivers us for something. We are saved for abundant life in the here and now. Now what does that mean? Well, look back at verse 9. He said, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out to find pasture. Come in and go out to find pasture. Now that phrase, come in and go out, is used in the Bible to refer to the blessing, the abundant blessing of God. For example, in Deuteronomy 28.6, one of the blessings that's spoken over Israel is that you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. What does that mean? It refers to the freedom that comes when you are welcomed into a family, into a home. In Acts one twenty one, the apostles talked about how after His resurrection, Jesus went in and out among us, meaning He was free to come and go. He would appear and be with them for a while, and then He'd be off doing something they didn't know what. 
So what Jesus is saying here is not that those who believe in Him can somehow go in and out of a relationship with Him. We don't go in and out from our state of salvation. Rather, what He's saying is that when we belong to the flock of God, when Jesus is our good shepherd, we share with Him the privilege of sonship and daughterhood. We are at home in the kingdom of God. We share in Christ's inheritance. We are secure as members of the family, and that will never change. We're free. Remember last week in John 8 where Jesus talks about truth setting us free. He says in verses 34 through 36, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christian freedom. That doesn't mean that we have the right to do whatever we want to do, whatever we feel like doing. Rather, it's the privilege to follow Jesus and carry out His will for our lives. True freedom is life under His Lordship, governed by His truth, motivated by His love. That's true Christian freedom. Think about it this way. What would you say about a sheep? It's morning, the sheep have been in there all night, it's morning, the shepherd is leading them out to pasture, and there's one sheep that stays in the pen and refuses to go out. What would you maybe think about that sheep? They're afraid, right? They're afraid to go out, or there's something wrong with that sheep. They're sick, there's something not right. And think about all that sheep would miss out on, the green pastures and the still waters that its good shepherd is leading it out to enjoy. It would miss out on that. It would miss out on the presence of the shepherd who's out there with the rest of the sheep. Now, the other, the reverse, that's also true. What would you say about a sheep who didn't have the wherewithal at nighttime to come back into the pen with the rest of them to be protected by the shepherd? And it stubbornly stays out there. You think that sheep is foolish, overconfident, ignorant to the dangers about it. You see... There's an amazing balance between the abundance of life in Christ and Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on this passage explains it well. He says we need the food, water, and exercise of the pasture as well as the rest and security of the fold. Prayer and meditation are important, but so are witness and service, which is why the book of Hebrews tells us to go within the veil to worship the Lord and then to go outside the camp to work and witness for the Lord. We talked about this when we talked about the disciples' path. There's the inward journey where we focus on worshiping and growing in our, in, our, in, our, in our spiritual growth with God, but then there's that outward journey of serving others and making disciples. It takes both. There are those mountaintop times, yes, but we also got to go down into the valley and do the hard work of serving others in Jesus' name. So as we follow Jesus into the pastures that He has chosen for us, we experience the joy of the Lord, the abundance of His blessings. And even if we have to walk through those dark and difficult valleys, we know that our shepherd is with us. And again, Jeff is going to lead us deeper into some of these truths about Jesus, our shepherd, next week. The gate is our deliverance to eternal and abundant life. But secondly and finally, the gate is our defense. Look again at verse 8. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep didn't listen to them. And then look at verse 10. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. When you think about a shepherd's role in these terms, it's a little easier to understand what David talks about there in First Samuel. Remember when he's talking to Saul? He's, he's wanting to go out there and fight Goliath. He talks about how as a shepherd guarding his father's sheep, he had to fight lions and bears, and he had to take down all these predators. To be a shepherd, 
You have to be willing to lay down your life for the sheep, literally laying down over that opening every night. You were risking life and limb on a daily basis, not to mention the loss of sleep, all for the sake of protecting your sheep. Jesus has done the same for us. He laid down His life for the sheep and He took it back up again so we could be saved, safe, and secure. He delivers us the moment we trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And from that moment on, every day, Jesus defends us. He stands watch over us. He stands guard for us every day. It's in this context, here in chapter 10, again, of sheep, shepherds, sheep pens, that Jesus says this. He says in verses 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In other words, once you're in, you're in forever. You are safe and secure. When you enter into God's fold through Jesus Christ, you are saved and always will be. It says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus continues this work of defending us, of keeping our salvation secure when it says, therefore He is able to save completely. When you're saved, it's not a half-done job. He saves you completely. Those who come to God through Him since what? He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is always, every day, interceding for us, defending us, keeping us secure. And just as those predators and those thieves would be out there scouting and stalking a large flock, waiting for the right moment to pounce, our enemy is on the prowl like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy who through false shepherds, through wolves in sheep clothing, through internal doubts and external temptations. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your witness. He wants to destroy God's purpose for your life. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life in abundance. Our good shepherd, who is the gate for the sheep, stands between you and the enemy, and I can't think of a better line of defense. Can you? Where are you today? Are you outside God's sheepfold? Or are you in? Maybe, maybe your philosophy has been, I've got plenty of time to deal with this Jesus stuff. I've got plenty of time to give my life to Jesus, to, to live for Him. I'll, I'll get around to that someday. Or maybe you've been trying to find some other way into the pen through being religious, going to church, doing good works, trying not to commit the big sins, and you think, oh, I'm going to be able to get in on my own. I pray that today you realize that's foolish. There's only one way in, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So guess what? There's a decision that stands before you today. Will you trust in Jesus and leave behind your life of sin and self-righteousness and self-reliance and walk through God's gate? Or will you keep yourself outside the gate? You will make a decision today, one way or the other, to either be a part of God's flock or to stand without. And I pray today you would choose to leave your past behind outside the, de- the gate, to come in through Jesus and be made new. Receive that deliverance, that gift of abundant and eternal life. Jesus stands ready today to welcome you into His flock. Will you do that today?
Will you make the right decision? Maybe today you're in God's flock already. You know you already belong to Jesus. You've come in through the gate. Are you living like a sheep that's too afraid to go out to pasture? Are you happy in the church? Are you happy in your, your little you know, bubble that you're in, but you're afraid to step out in faith and serve the Lord? You're afraid to go out there and share the good news of Jesus with someone else. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're working and you're serving, but you're too stubborn to come in at night for rest and refreshment. Maybe you're a little bit too much like Martha, work, 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 and not enough like Mary. Or maybe you're too much like Mary. And all you want to do is sit at the feet of Jesus. All you want to do is be on that mount of transfiguration. You don't want to go down into the valley of hard work and service for the kingdom. Maybe you need to work on that balance of trusting in Jesus, of coming in to find rest and refreshment with Him and going out with Him in work and service. Or maybe God this morning is leading you and your family to join this particular group of God's flock that meets here at First Baptist Church. And you know, this is where God would have you to worship and serve. The point is, do you hear the voice of your shepherd today? And if you've heard his voice, will you follow him? Will you answer the shepherd's call in obedience? I pray that you will. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you that you made a way. Lord, you didn't have to make a way. You could have left the door shut. You could have left us on the outside to perish. You could have left us to sink in the shifting sand of this world that we live in, but you chose to make a way through Jesus Christ. And He's the only way. Because He is the life. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the light of the world. If we don't want to walk in darkness, we have to follow Him. And if we want to be a part of Your sheepfold, we have to enter through the gate. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never done that, they've been hanging around on the outside of that gate. They've been looking for other ways to get in. And I pray this morning they would feel the conviction of Your Spirit and they would respond in faith and receive that gift of grace. Father, for all of us, may we be obedient to Your voice. May we come in and go out and find pasture in freedom. May we live this life in Christ in abundance in such a way that others will be drawn to know our Shepherd. Father, whatever Your Spirit is speaking to us, may we be obedient today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd, and the gate for the sheep we pray.